Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Good Monday morning. I've often been asked if our last two Monday morning messages are true, am I a universalist? And those who don't use these terms, a universalist believes that every person ever born and whoever will be born will be saved by God's grace, one way or the other. And that's the issue. It's hard to answer the question because we don't always hold to the same definitions, for example. There's also annihilationism, which means that those who do not accept Christ, either um, because they never heard of him or because they heard of him and rejected him, and when they die, they don't get eternal life since Christ is the author of eternal life. They just cease to be. And so their, their hell is that they're burned up, they're gone. The eternal torment thing, I don't believe, and I've made that very plain and listed the scriptures, definitions, and the backup for that on earlier Monday morning messages. And you can go back and listen to those. There are also those that believe that we will all stand before Christ and then be given the choice of entering heaven or not. And you might think, who would not? I can imagine some people who couldn't even bend their wills at that point. And those who do not, then they cease to be. Uh, They are consumed and gone. There are uh, others who have other views of this. So who's right? Here's our problem. The Bible is not nearly as plain and succinct and consistent as we would like for it to be. That's why, as I've held up a couple of the last two Monday mornings, uh, people will rummage through different books written at different times to different people talking about different subjects and ram them all together and say, here is the approved list do it in this order because it is hard to find in one book the information that you need so of course what you should do then is read all of them yes 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 you should but lamentations is probably not going to help you that much job is going to confuse you because sometimes job tells god that whenever job dies god's going to miss him other times he believes that he will walk again on the earth after his death, it's obvious that he's not real sure what's going to happen. And while Bart Ehrman is not a believer, he's at best an agnostic, but he is a professor of New Testament and he knows his books. I love to read him, even though I don't think he proves nearly as much as he thinks he proves in any of his books. He's just an engaging author. And he has a history of hell, uh, a book, a history of hell, And he really does us a great service in showing us the literature and the concepts behind words such as hell, Hades, death, uh, the other world, the beyond, that sort of thing. During the time of Christ, there was no single belief about what happens after death. In fact, the Sadducees believed there was no eternal life and they were a big part of the Jews. They led the priesthood during different eras 
during Jesus's life before and after. This, um, the Bible has not nailed that down. So I got a question from somebody that said, what about soul sleep? When, when we die, are we aware? Uh, and if we are aware of what are we aware? And where are we? Well, soul sleep is actually considered heresy by the Catholic Church. They have official rules saying, no, you don't sleep when you die. You, you go to your place of ultimate destination. There are others that seems to indicate that there's a waiting period somewhere and then you, after the end of all things, then you go or, it, see, that's the problem. We're not sure. Another person asked, are we just disembodied souls? And if we are, why then would we, would we need our bodies to be reconstituted? Well, I'm not sure that God plans to use the atoms that he used to make you, to make you again. Uh, if you listen to our Christmas Eve service, you'll find out that that's not nearly as cut and dried a thing as you might not, uh, if you might have thought of it, since atoms are always interchanging. But again, this is Monday. We don't have that much time to recover that. So you can go listen to the Christmas Eve service if you wish. Uh, all year round, why not? I wish I could lay this out for you simply. But the Bible doesn't. And because it doesn't, I can't. I have seen the movies. I've seen the film strips that they used to bring to us. And I've listened to the sermons. And I was, I'm even old enough to remember what we used to call sheet sermons because they would make the multicolored drawings and arrows and such on a bedsheet, a large one, and hang it up on a clothesline over in front of the church building, uh, um, auditorium, and the preacher would point at it with a stick to, to walk us through. And everything logical laid out again, cherry picking versus, cherry picking might be a harsh term, more of a scavenger hunt. Uh, you know, what verse might teach about this? What, running uh, throughout scripture to find a, a, a logical way through. I gotta tell you, I think that's valuable to do that. I think it's valuable to seek and hunt and look and think and process and come up with your ideas. So I'm not knocking any of that at all. What I am saying is God never says this plainly. And the people that could get a peek after death weren't allowed to talk about it those who got a peek beyond the curtain, like Paul might, might not have been dead when he saw. Uh, John the Revelator was not dead, but he got a peek behind the, the curtain. Daniel certainly got a peek behind the curtain. They would come back and say, it's not lawful to speak of what we saw. It's gonna be great, but we can't talk about it. And so the mystery is in there on purpose. And some of it's in there because different people at different points in scripture had developed different theologies. So what do we, what do we, how do we tie this with salvation? Soul sleep, disembodied spirits, salvation. Well, first of all, I have to tell you this. I don't wanna make anybody angry. I really don't. I really wish I was universally loved. Never gonna happen. Um, and it's because I'm not universally lovable. I, I think I have to admit that. Um, that's on me. That said, I did a poll once on Facebook that really did shock me. And I hope it shocked the people who responded. The poll was just, and this is years ago. Oh my, this has gotta be more than a dozen years ago. I put up, what if you die and you get to heaven 
and you find that God's grace is so vast, his love is so huge that he has saved everybody, how would you feel about that? I got a lot of that would be great, but then I got a whole lot of, well, that would mean so-and-so saved and I'm not okay with that. But I also got some from people that said, I would be angry because I kept to the rules and I loved people and I sacrificed and I went to church and I read the Bible, even Ezekiel and some of the Psalms that are laments. I, I, and I read Revelation, didn't get it, but I read Revelation and I'm really upset because I, they're saved and they didn't do any of this. And that shocked me. What? What, is, what does it say about our character that we would get upset that, something, that Jesus would love somebody? And besides, yes, following Jesus here on this earth has been a burden to me at times, and it has certainly limited my behavior, and it has required some things of me. But I believe that made my life a better life. I would not have had Miss Cammie in my life. I would not have had most of you in my life. Uh, the great vast majority of you, and I consider that a blessing to have you in my life. So why would I be angry that I missed out on, oh, I don't know, drunken sex and, you know, um, driving cars through the front of stores and stuff? Yeah, wh why, why would that upset me? I don't think it should. Because here's the thing. If you read scripture, what you get out of it is determined largely by the kind of glasses you're wearing when you read it. Now, I'm not talking about physical glasses here. I'm talking about the glasses of your culture, your background, your hopes and wishes, your fears, what you've been taught, uh, contradictions to what you've been taught, and what you're looking for. All of those things, all seven of those things will absolutely determine what you get out of it. I've used this illustration before, so I'll be very, very quick. I was driving, I'd just come back to America. I was driving with a bunch of men. We were going from Ohio to Myrtle Beach to play some golf for a week. Uh, and that was, that was a rare treat. We got to do that twice in my life. As we were driving down, these men kept seeing stuff out the window that I didn't see. They'd look up at the woods and they'd say, oh, you see the turkeys over there. You see the deer over there. You, you see this, that, I didn't. Well, see, I didn't come from a culture where we hunted, and they did. Therefore, when they saw the woods, they saw an entirely different woods than I saw. And they saw things in the woods that I didn't see because I wasn't trained to see it. It's very much like I was trained in argument, science, proving theories, what a hypothesis is and the like. And it drives me just to distraction to listen to news programs or like, or to listen to um, assertions as if they were arguments and logic, or to hear somebody on a, on a police show go, well, you've got to believe me. No, no, I, I don't have to believe you at all. It's not, it's not a requirement. I, in other words, hear and see things that you might not hear and see when you're watching the news or you're watching the police shows. And in fact, working with law enforcement uh, for the last, I don't know how many years. And I still do a lot of training, still a lot, a lot of work with them all over the US, uh, Canada, and back in Europe. I see problems with every police show. You don't see them. Got it? Do we understand the concept? 
So when I read the Bible and I believe that God's grace is huge, I'm gonna see things that you may not see if you were raised like me to believe that God's grace is huge but will only be given to like a 0.001% who get the secret message by arranging the scriptures into an easy to follow formula. And again, I would say that's a horribly inefficient way to save the world. And I've had people come at me saying, you are blaspheming God. No, no, I'm telling you God's more loving, kind, and that he said he was. Because when I read the Bible, I see verses that you might not see. Did you know, for example, that for the first three to 500 years of the existence of the church, a great many of the church fathers in their writings made it very plain that they were universalist. They believed that if you believed in the power of God, an all-powerful, omnipotent God, who was a loving God, a righteous God, and a merciful God, that you had to believe that all things would be restored and that all people would be saved. It wasn't until the religious wars that have always swirled that people began to argue back and forth and the I'm right, you're wrong, and God likes me better, therefore you're not going to go to heaven, but he's, I am. That all started working, well, there were some day ones, but really after 300, 400, 500 AD. But even then, John Wesley, for example, did you know that John Wesley believed we're all going to be saved? Most people don't because they haven't been trained to look for these things. Wesley actually uh, said about the subject to all things in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 26 through 28, the, Paul talks about the time where God will be all and in all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 26 to 28. Here, Wesley says, the son will also be subject to God and he shall deliver up the mediatorial kingdom, in other words, the kingdom of God that's on earth right now, that the triune God may be one in all, all things, and consequently all persons, without any interruption of any creature, without the opposition of any enemy, shall be, and that shall be means absolutely will, it's, it is an emphatic term, shall be subordinate to God and all will say, my God and my all, this is the end. Even an inspired apostle can see nothing beyond this. Wesley believed in the ultimate salvation of all. I believe that may be why the Catholics through the years and, and some Protestant denominations uh, brought this doctrine of purgatory up because you believe that, well, you're, they're not good enough to go to heaven yet but they will be cleansed and they will be refined. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of the purgatory argument, but I do understand why it's there. And I certainly don't mock or criticize those who use that as a, as a measure, a stopgap, or as a necessary refining before heaven. I just don't find evidence for it in scripture. Uh, I, I do see how that people come up with that idea. Fair enough? But it's not just them. You will find church fathers, uh, saying the same. And we have to deal with this because we have wonderful people like Francis Chan's book, Erasing Hell. I read it, didn't agree with it. Uh, I think Francis Chan's a wonderful person. Uh, he's absolutely a Christian and there's no way I would ever criticize him. But his book 
didn't see what I see. It's probably fair to say I don't see what he sees either. Let's just keep the humility going two ways. There are books written by evangelicals uh, attacking people who say that others will be saved. And that's sad. Uh, I think of James uh, DeYoung's book, Exposing Universalism. I, I don't need, think it needs to be exposed. I think we can talk about it. I don't consider myself a universalist, but I consider myself hopeful that that is what God intends. Because I see so many before me who believe this, Moravians, Anabaptists, many of the others. Um, Clement, the Church Fathers, Clement, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, Origen, many others. In fact, um, they say, in fact, in, the, in Acts 3, 19 through 21, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that there may be times of refreshing come from the presence of God and he will send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, who heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Acts 3, 19 through 21. Now go read that and you'll find a word has been inserted. It is not a word found in any Greek manuscript. Until the restoration of all things, it says. And so evangelicals like Dr. DeYoung will say that just means the conditions and laws, not people. No, I think we ought to read it without the interpreter uh, interpreter's word there until the restoration of all christ has come for the restoration of all or what about acts 325 and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed how are you blessed if 99.998 percent are going to burn billions of years in eternity How's, how's that blessing all the families? Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Well, there are those who would say, oh, that's just, that's just hyperbole. No, we understand hyperbolic speech, and I like what John Sidney heard he did in his illustration. So this comes from him, and then we'll stop for the day, all right? He said, um, take a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 5, and you find hyperbole. He says, all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, and all were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Here's the quotation from George Hurd. Obviously, Mark didn't mean for us to understand by all that literally everyone was baptized by John in the Jordan including the unrepentant, the infants, the bedridden. However, common sense tells us when one is speaking literally or hyperbolically. If I were to say, all of San Francisco came to the meeting, or the whole world knows that she's the best singer, we instantly know that's exaggerated hyperbolic speech used for greater impact. If, on the other hand, the captain of a sinking ship were to say to those aboard, the ship is sinking, but don't you worry, you will all be saved. How could we rationally call that hyperbole? God will reveal to us his promises in these scriptures to save and restore all. Are those exaggerations? 
I don't say, I, I don't see how they could be. I'll leave you with one more out of Psalm 66, verse 34, and we will continue this next week. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. I believe that's true. Exactly how that works, I'm not really sure, but we'll talk about it. But I will say this, since one day every knee shall bow and one day all of us will submit and sing praises to God, why don't you do it now and avoid the rush? See you next time.